0: there are a couple of off the tops here that we need to discuss. Now, for those of you who may remember, yesterday on the John Campia show, we discussed here that Warner Brothers was possibly looking at moving Wonder Woman 84 uh, for a couple of reasons. But one of them being the fact that currently, as it was slated to open on October 2nd, That's right around when they're projecting that the movie theaters in like California and New York will really be back up and running again. And Warner Brothers doesn't want to have something competing, at least not one of their own films, competing against Tenet because they want Tenet to really be able to benefit from California. So it looked like Wonder Woman might move. Well, apparently it's now official. It's being reported originally by the Wall Street Journal and has now been confirmed by Deadline. Warner Brothers has moved Wonder Woman 84 Again, I believe this is the fourth move, third or fourth move, something like that. They have officially bumped Wonder Woman 84 again. It will not open on October 2nd. Not a terribly huge surprise. It was only three and a half weeks away. Plus, we guessed with the tenant stuff and it is staying in 2021 or in 2020, I should say it's being moved to late December. Uh, Rob, I believe you took a look at the uh, at the report that I think it said they're basically around Christmas time. So technically a week after Dune. Yeah.
1: Is that what you're they're, saying? They're, yeah. And they're saying here in the article that they Warner Brothers, at least this is true today, apparently. This was in deadline. It dropped at 945. So literally 15 minutes ago. They're saying that they believe that Christmas can support two major tentpole films. <laughs> I don't think this is going to happen. You know, John, Dune and Wonder Woman are pretty uh, important to Warner Brothers. I can't believe they're going to release one right after another. But you know what? They might have to start clocking those dollars by the end of that year because they have to make those interest payments. But I, I just can't see that happening. No, I mean, I
0: can't. the Wall Street Journal's not wrong. I mean, we've seen the Christmas season can support more than sure. one big blockbuster. But if you're the studio, do you want to release two of this of your blockbusters basically at the same time? Well, I I I will be surprised if Dune doesn't now move into 2021, probably not by a lot. But my guess at this point is that within the next month or two, we're going to hear about Dune getting moved. I don't know. What do you think? Or do you think they actually will keep this date for Dune I- now that the move Wonder Woman?
1: You know, we've heard Denis Villeneuve himself has said it would be a mad race to the finish line. I think this is an easy way for them to alleviate the pressure that the producers and the filmmakers for Dune are under. Give them the time they need. Um, I just I wouldn't want I mean, a studio would be cannibalizing its own business because, well, let's face it. There's a lot of crossover audience between Wonder Woman and Dune. I know that because I'm one of them. (laughs) <laughs> and I think a lot of the people watching this show are are viewers that are going to be excited for both films are going to go see both movies. And, you know, during the Christmas season with family, I mean, maybe no one's going to see a family this season. I don't know. But I think they will be. And and people go to the movies and you have to decide. And I, I don't know. I just I don't I wouldn't want if I was a Warner Brothers filmmaker, I would not want my big tentpole opening anywhere near either Dune or Wonder Woman. So who knows? Maybe it'll maybe they'll change the future by this release strategy. But you never know.
0: Well, I mean, let's let's take a look here for a second, because if if we go over right now and take a look at, say, uh, let me ch- check out the release schedule, because, look, we saw Warner Brothers made a lot of money. They made a lot of money. And there, there's the re- release schedule. They made a lot of money last uh, when uh, Aquaman came out. Right. In a Christmas season that had a number of other big films coming out. I mean, remember, it was that log jam of really, murderer's really big films. Murderer's Row, we were calling it. It, <laughs> it was a murderer's row. And they were able to make a lot of money yeah. with that nonetheless. Now. What do we got this year? There are a few films that are looking to open this year around that Christmas season. We'll start on December 11th. We got Free Guy, the uh, Ryan Reynolds film. That's not going to be a billion dollar film, but that could get a lot of interest.
1: Yeah, it looks good. Again, part of the same audience that Wonder Woman and Dune would be attracted to.
0: Theoretically, on the same day as already Dune right now, we got West Side Story. Honestly, listen, I I, I think... Steven Spielberg is the world's greatest filmmaker. I think he's the greatest filmmaker of all time. I don't see West Side Story doing a ton of business, but also on the 18th we've got Coming to America 2. Again, not a 600 million dollar movie, but could get a little bit of uh, a little bit of box office. We got the Anthony Hopkins movie, The Father, and of course Dune on the 18th. We've got The Crude's a New Age. I think they waited way too long on trying to do a crude too. If they were going to do a crude stew, I thought they should have done that a long time ago, but whatever. And then we've got uh, on the 25th, which is when they're looking at putting Wonder Woman now, they've got the Truffle Hunters and uh, the Tom Hanks uh, movie News of the World. So some significant titles, some yeah. significant <clears throat> names, but it's not that same Murderer's Row That say Aquaman and a few other films were able to do pretty well and quite well. And I mean, you, you can make an argument that there's room here, especially if you consider just to play devil's advocate for a second, especially if you consider that if indeed by Christmas, and that's a huge if, but if indeed by Christmas, like all the theaters are open back up again, which it looks like they will be sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. With the added hunger of that, that you can make an argument, there may be room for another big blockbuster in that lineup this Christmas season. But do you want two of your own films? I guess that's the the catch for me. If you had to play, if you had to make an argument, Rob, why there is room here to drop in a Wonder Woman and have Dune keep the same date? What would your main argument be?
1: Well, I would say, like you said, you know, we don't have a murderer's row, and both of those movies are very attractive to what you'd call four quadrant. Audiences meaning kids and adults can go together and that's the holiday season is the time when families are going to the movies I think both Wonder Woman and Dune even though Dune's pretty sophisticated It's still a film that the whole family can see I guess for the most part And I think both of those movies are very well positioned to get people excited to go see the movies and I could see I mean They're not wrong in that. I think that both films are definitely going to attract audiences by the way as an aside I watched the trailer for The Father yesterday. That movie was not on my radar at all. But after I watched the trailer, it's I'm like, oh, I'm in. Anthony Hopkins plays a man who's an old man who's suffering from maybe dementia or maybe something else. Like his daughter keeps appearing as two different actresses. Like, huh. who are you? I'm your daughter. And I'm like, and then I read a review of it. I'm like, okay, I hadn't even heard of this movie. And I played some festivals, and it looks really good.
0: Here's a question for you. Okay, let's say Warner Brothers drops Dune and Wonder Woman within a week of each other. Mm -hmm. When it's all said and done, which one does better business at the box office, Wonder Woman or Dune?
1: I think not which uh, will be uh, the
0: better movie, not which will be the better movie, but which will make more box office
1: as it pains me to say it. I think Wonder Woman's going to make significantly more at the box office than Dune, because again, you you know, eight year olds can go see Wonder Woman. I don't think that if an eight year old goes and sees Dune, they're going to come out of it and go, Mom, Dad, I want to go see that again. Maybe they will. But I think Wonder Woman just has more of a replayability for family audiences and already It's got, you know, it's got remember girls, the female audience. Um, It's not exactly Dune is not exactly the most inviting girl power movie, even though it's got some incredibly powerful, literally powerful women in it. But Wonder Woman is like, you know, you've got you've got six year old girls who might for the very first time go to the movie theater specifically for their very first time ever. To see Warner Brothers, I mean, to see Warner Brothers, to see Warner Brothers, Wonder Woman. Yeah. And and that's a big deal. And I think that uh, Wonder Woman is going to outgross Dune by probably a wide margin.
0: Uh, listen, unless they radically change direction with their marketing, because we talked ad nauseum about that trailer, <laughs> unless yeah. they change directions radically, I think Wonder Woman could double dune's box office oh yeah
1: i i that would i suspect not dune me. will
0: be the better film i suspect dune will be the better film not that i don't have a world of confidence in patty jenkins i absolutely do but but i think there's a pos again unless they unless they change gears with their marketing i think there's a possibility that that yeah wonder woman could absolutely double it but question is for you guys what do you think of this move you know we talked about this the other day this is no surprise that wonder woman is moving the question will be, does Dune stick there? And what would you do? I mean, personally, if it's me, I maybe move Dune to a February or something like that. Who knows? Do you keep it where it is? Do you think it'll stay where it is? Jump down in the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top. And that is this. Speaking of the pandemic and how it's caused havoc on a lot of the... As long as we're talking about the movie world, how it's caused havoc amongst the release schedules, a lot of films... One of the studios that hasn't been completely affected by it so far and kind of has no plans to get into the fray of it at all is Sony as Sony's uh, one of the Sony head honchos. There was speaking at the Bank of America uh, at a Bank of America conference uh, economics and entertainment, and he basically said that they are not going to release any of their big films, their big films. Until basically the pandemic is done. This is what he said. He said the following. What we won't do is make the mistake of putting a very, very expensive $200 million movie out in the market. Unless we are sure that theaters are open and operating at significant capacity. We will not put out our very big expensive films. And not all films are the huge expensive ones. But we're not going to put out any of our very expensive $200 million movies out in market unless we are sure that the theaters are open and operating at significant capacity. Here's the thing, though, Rob. I mean, that sounds like a bold statement. On its surface, it sounds like a pretty bold statement. But the reality is, when you look at Sony, what are their big, big movies? Well, they've got Morbius and they got Venom 2. And they've got Ghostbusters Afterlife, which which more people are getting excited about than, yeah. than maybe you would have originally thought there would have been. And that's great. But none of those are scheduled to open for like another five months. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Ghostbusters and Morbius might both be kind of scheduled for March. So what are we in September now? October, November, December, January, February, six months from now. We're thinking the theaters may be open to some significant capacity by Christmas at the latest. So, I mean, it's it's it certainly seems like a big statement for the Sony guy to come out and say that. But the reality is they don't have any movies opening anyway. Would he still be saying the same thing right now if currently, uh, you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife was supposed to come out in November? I mean, I don't know. But it's a pretty safe statement for him to say. Rob, you heard these comments that he made. What's your reaction to them?
1: Well, I feel, yeah, I mean, I, uh, like – I look at this point everything is in flux. I think Sony actually made a pretty good choice because I mean look, moving the release dates for these movies almost a year in some cases is a big gamble. Obviously it's it's problematic from an economic standpoint, but in it, it, they've 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 completely circumvented having to deal with well, are we going to move this release date? We're going to move it by a month. No, we're going to move it by another three months. You know, they they just made a unilateral decision, and I think it was a good one. I really think it was a good one because that way, you know, they're, they're not getting our hopes up. Like, John, if they move no time to die, I'm going to cry. I mean, I'm going to cry <laughs> big, 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 big tears again. And and I'm glad that I know that, that – and by the way – i'm excited for morbius i'm excited for uh, venom let there be carnage and i'm excited for ghostbusters afterlife all three of those movies are 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 definitely on my radar i want to see them and it's kind of nice to not worry about whether or not they're going to move not that in the grand scheme of things whether a movies release date moves means much but it does to us Mm. you know we and i i i think it's actually it's a good thing and um i think they made the right choice
0: you know You make a great point because in hindsight, I remember, whereas, you know, Wonder Woman has now had its third, maybe its fourth move of dates, and we've had other movies doing that. I I remember back when they bumped Fast and the Furious 9, and they bumped it by basically a year. Yeah, a year. And I remember some people, to a degree, me included, were a little bit critical of that and saying, "Uh, you didn't have to move it that far in hindsight how wise does universal look now that they were like you know what instead of risking having to change release dates three or four times on this movie we're just let's we're just gonna play it safe we're just gonna say boom we're gonna bump it by a year and and there were a number of people to to certain degrees that were kind of critical of that again i admit myself included to a degree Mm -hmm. i like, you didn't need to move it that far how smart do they look now how smart do they look at? And Sony kind of by pushing them all the way into March. And I think uh, when's Venom 2, either June or July, they pushed Venom 2 to June or July. It, it's looking like they might have made the smart move. And now they don't have to worry about like Wonder Woman does. And now not just, well, you know, we, ugh, when does Tenant get a wider release? And how does that affect Wonder Woman? Okay, let's move Wonder Woman now. What does that do with, with Dune? They don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Sony doesn't have to worry about any of that. So you raise a really great point.
1: And it's not just it's not just the release dates. It's the pandemic and getting people used to going back to the movie theaters and feeling safe. Yeah. So they've avoided not just wondering when theaters themselves would open, but more importantly, when audiences feel comfortable flocking back to the movies. Right. So. All right, guys. Question
0: is. What do you think about, honestly, I think the Sony's statement is pretty much moot because they don't have any big, big movies scheduled to open for quite some time anyway. It's a statement nonetheless. What did you guys make of it? Jump into the comments below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we pick our main topics here on The John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7 to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with what you think a main topic should be. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Andrew Cook. And Andrew Cook writes, A recent expose over the toxic culture at Weta Digital has featured on the national news program One News at Six over the last couple of nights. More than 40 current and former Weta Digital staff have spoken about bullying, harassment, and sexism at the Wellington Special Effects Company. This, is, of course, is Peter Jackson's company. Workplace Relations Minister Andrew Little is calling for an independent investigation into the matter. Some Weta Digital projects have received government funding all right thanks a lot for sending this in man and yeah listen in the world of special effects and special effects is it has a special place in my heart i worked in the visual effects and cg uh industry for a little while and i'm a big fan of and weta my god what they were able to do with Weta in the lord of the rings and a lot of avengers end game and a lot of things since Weta digital has kind of other than industrial light and magic probably the number two at least in terms of prestige, digital visual effects companies out there. And under the whole image that they have being this, you know, New Zealand kind of company under Peter Jackson and all that kind of stuff, it has a particular image. However, you're right. A whole ton of employees, it's not one or two, it's in the multiple dozens, have come out and made certain claims like this. This comes to us from Stuff.co who writes, Weta Digital told One News on Wednesday, it is aware of historical behavior issues, but said the company has changed and the complaints do not reflect the Weta Digital of today. Weta Digital has worked on several big budget films, including, of course, Birds of Prey, Avengers Endgame and the BFG. Uh, By the way, I like the BFG. I know a lot of people didn't. I really did like the BFG. Anyway, but that's just me. So we've got these reports saying they've got over 40 employees making claims of, of like this unacceptable work environment, like over 40 of them. Weta saying, yes, we did have a problem, but we addressed it. Where this becomes an issue is if you are a company that is getting government money, Then you open the door for the government to get involved when claims like this are being made. It's going to be interesting to see how all this transpires, because Weta Digital and Peter Jackson and what that company has done for New Zealand and the image of New Zealand has kind of made them something of a national treasure, Rob. So it's going to be interesting to see how they proceed with this. Look, I don't know anything about the inner workings of Weta. For all I know, this was something that was a real problem there. And like a year ago, they dropped the hammer and said, no, this is not what our company's about. And they may have fixed everything by now. I I, I mean, it could be maybe it becomes an issue. If it is an issue, it's going to shake up the visual effects world as we know it, particularly if we start seeing their government funding starting getting pulled and they can't work on government projects because they are so identified with New Zealand. You know what I mean? Rob, you heard about this story. What are your thoughts and impressions of it?
1: Well, you know, having been down there, I mean, it was a long time ago, but I, you know, covered Weta Workshop and Weta Digital extensively for the Lord of the Rings uh, special features. I mean, that was a long time ago, you know, (laughs) 19, (laughs) 18, 17 years ago. But I, I, I can see, you know, when you're when you're working in these environments at long hours and not to excuse anyone's behavior, but you get a little loopy and people, people, Look, people start telling inappropriate jokes. They start doing inappropriate things, and it can spiral out of control. And I, I, I hope that everything is is. I didn't see anything remotely like that, but I, I, I would hope that they would alleviate these problems because nobody needs to work in a toxic workplace like that. And um, yeah, but it was a pressure cooker environment when you're trying to finish movie projects. And you, as you know, John, you worked in special effects. People get crazy, long hours. People are sleeping on the floor in their offices because they're waiting for renders to finish. I mean, it's it's a crazy world. And I think perhaps maybe some oversight can help.
0: Yeah, and and here's hoping it is an issue. This again, this is just this could have. And the reason this story kind of interested me is because what is such a predominant player in such a predominant industry within the entertainment world itself that like if something were to happen to Weta Weta, that has wide ranging implications across the entire movie sphere so it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that it is as Weta has already said that yeah yeah there was a problem but we dealt with it I'm hoping that's what the case is we'll keep our eye on this as this story progresses question is guys what do you think about this whole thing jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Nick Vender Ploak. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm not gonna pretend that I do. Uh, and Nick writes, I don't know if you saw, but apparently the Oscars is implementing a new quota on diversity in movies it nominates. I'm all for diversity, but it seems like this will eliminate a lot of films that may not be able to meet the quotas just based on their subject matter alone. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yes, this actually came out a couple of days ago. For those of you who may not be familiar with this, a couple of days ago, the Oscars announced that they were implementing... As they've talked about like six months ago, they were talking about looking at doing this. But a couple of days ago, they announced that by 20, I believe it's by 2024. I think they've announced that by 2024, they are implementing these new rules, these new criteria for studios and movies that says if you want your movie to be able to qualify to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Your film has to meet certain criteria. Now, it should be noted that these are rules that are extremely similar to the rules that BAFTA implemented some time ago. That's the British equivalent of the Academy Awards. BAFTA implemented similar rules to this quite some time ago. They've had no issue. I didn't make this a topic on the John Campion show because it, to me, it looked really benign. What I have been shocked to see over the past little while, the past couple of days, is the amount of emails that have been coming in and the amount of things I've been seeing popping up on, on various outlets, basically saying, Tuh! forget 1917, 1917, never would we got nominated for an Academy Award if these rules had been in place. Actually, it would have been, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, you can forget that the Irishman would have been considered The Irishman, whatever would have been considered. You wouldn't admit, actually, the Irishman would have still been nominated because the Irishman actually met the qualifications. I have been stunned to see how many people are getting upset by this new criterion, these new rules. And the more I listened to the people complaining about them, I realized I think most of these people, certainly not all, but I think most of these people haven't even read what the rules are and actually don't understand what this criteria is and how it's going to be applied. Listen, before we get into the rules and criteria, let me make something perfectly clear that is beyond refute and not up for debate. For over a century in Hollywood, to differing degrees, depending on the decades you're talking about, but for over a century in Hollywood, there's been a very active, very aggressive agenda of exclusion in Hollywood. To varying degrees, depending on which decade you're looking at, but over the last century, there is simply no debate that there has been a very strong, very real, very aggressive agenda of exclusion in Hollywood. And I love Hollywood. I mean, I've based my whole career around Hollywood. It is what it is. And it got to the point that people started taking it out on a couple of years ago on the Oscars. You guys remember the whole campaign of hashtag Oscar so white. I was actually never, I never agreed with the Oscars so white thing because to me, the problem, and there was a problem, but the problem wasn't that the Oscars aren't nominating non-white people because the Oscars job is just to look at what is there, what's presented to them that year and nominate what they think is the best. That's it. That's their job. The problem was and has been in Hollywood for over a century that there's been this agenda of exclusion to keep women, Asians, black people, gay people to keep people out. Again, it's not as bad today as it was a number of decades ago, but it has been there and has been very real for a long time. And so the Oscars finally decided to say, look. Instead of us taking the heat for the fact that there aren't enough of these opportunities being given to people, we're going to create a couple of standards. Now, the response to these rules has been a bunch of people like chickens with their tail feathers on fire standing on the top of barns screaming out quotas, quotas. Oh, my God. The sky is falling. And when you listen to them for more than about 30 seconds, you realize those people have never actually read the rules. They've never actually, because if they did, they would realize that these new sets of criteria, these new rules, these new standards that the Academy has put into place are so laughably easy that in order for your film to not qualify under these new rules, you would literally have to intentionally be trying not to meet. the You would literally have to be trying to go out of your way to not qualify. That's how easy these rules are. That's how easy it is. Let's take a look for a minute, shall we? Let's take a moment and actually look at what are the rules? What are these standards? Now, hang tight with this, guys, because I want to go into this into some detail, because the importance is in the details. The Academy Awards established a thing that says there are four standards. And they simply call it standard a standard B standard C and standard D. There are four standards, but for your movie to qualify for the Academy Awards for particularly for best picture. You don't have to meet all four. You don't even have to meet three. You only got to meet two of these standards. And by the way, one of these is an automatic. Well, I won't give you, I won't spoil which one it is, but one of these four standards is a 100% automatic one that every movie already has. So you already got one out of the four, right? And all you need is two. All you need is two. So understanding four standards, A, B, C, and D, you only got to get two of them. So what are those standards? Let's start taking a look at them. The main one that everybody is focused on and thinks is the only one, and this is the one why people say, well, 1917 wouldn't have qualified. Actually, 1917 would have qualified, but maybe not by standard A. Here's the first standard standard A, the in front of camera stuff. To satisfy, for you to get a check mark for standard A, and remember, you don't have to get a check mark for A, you only need two. But if you want to get the check mark for A to satisfy the demands of A, you only have to get one of these three things. If you get any one of these three things, you get a check mark for standard A. Here are the three things at least one actor from the under from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group must be cast in a significant role. By the definition of significant role, something that would qualify as being interpreted as a supporting actor. You, that means there's up to seven or eight different characters in your movie could be considered uh, could be considered significant role. So, if you have a, meet, a, a movie with two leads and like four supporting actors, and one of the supporting actors is Asian, guess what? You've got the check mark for standard A. Congratulations, you're already done. You've already got the check mark for standard A. Finish, done. No, you don't even you don't even have to worry about number two and number three down there. You've done number one. You're done. But okay, let's say you don't meet that standard. Okay, number two, the story must center on either women, LGBTQ BQ, uh, BQ, B- people, or racial or ethnic groups of the disabled. So if your movie is Aaron Brockovich, that's focused on a woman guess what? You've qualified. Okay, let's move on to number three. At number three, at least 30% of the cast must be actors from at least two of those four unrepresented groups. So out of not just significant roles, out of anybody in your cast, three out of 10 need to be anybody that's not a white male. That's it. So if you have any one of those three things, any one of those three things, You get the check mark for standard A. You don't even need to have standard A, but if you want to have standard A, just do any one of those three things and check. You've got it. Now, for a movie like 1917 that takes place when it takes place in the environment that it takes place in, that makes all of these very difficult. It does. And That's why a lot of people think that this is all there is to it. This isn't you don't even have to meet standard a So let's move on to standard B Remember you have to have two of these things either a and B or a and C or C and D whatever So let's say maybe you don't get that's the wrong. Let's say maybe you don't get standard a checkbox. Okay. What's standard B? Standard B is behind the camera to satisfy the demands of standard B, only one of these three criteria need to be met. So again, you don't need to do all three of these things to get a standard B check mark. You only got to do one of them, just one. Number one, two or more department heads, this is probably the easiest, two or more department heads, meaning jobs like director, cinematographer, composer, by the way, department heads can also be things like art direction, costume design, all these types of things. There's a number of things that they qualify as department heads. Must be either female, LGTBQ, disabled, or part of an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Guess what? Most movies, without even thinking about it, will automatically just qualify with that one alone. Uh, Most of the time when you see at the Academy Awards, the nominees and whatever for for a lot of these things, it's usually women. Uh, So that one they probably already got already. But only two of your department heads need to be a non-white male. That's it. Most movies without even thinking about it are going to automatically qualify anyway. Or number 2. At least 6 other crew members. That's it. 6 crew members. Only 6 other crew members must be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. That's it. Rob, I have been on sets, so of you, well bigger ones than I've been on, but I've been on sets where there have been like 70 like 70 crew members. Only six of them have to be uh, from an underrepresented racial ethnic group. If you've got that, if you've got like uh, two Chinese dudes, uh, one, uh, one, one uh, I, I don't know, a uh, Pakistani guy, uh, two black dudes, and um, and somebody representing something else. Guess what? Out of 70 crew members, Done. Standard B checkmark. That's all you needed. Or you can get number three. At least 30% of the film's crew must hail from four of the under- underrepresented uh, continually laid out in these guidelines. That's fine. The, you can basically pick and choose whichever one of these things fits your movie the most and automatic checkmark. You've got standard B. So guess what? If out of your crew of 70, if you've got six, just six of them that that aren't white males You've got A or so you've got standard B already and if one of your supporting actors is from India guess what you've already got A you're already done you're already done qualifications satisfied you're done but okay let's say you for whatever reasons you didn't get the A check mark and let's say for whatever reason you didn't get the B check mark well that still leaves you with C and D and these are the easiest things in the world, and I guarantee you 99% of the movies out there are going to automatically qualify because they already meet these requirements. Here it is. Standard C, distribution and finance. To satisfy the demands of standard C, only one of these two criteria needs to be met. Number one, the film's distributor or financing company, this is how easy this is the film's distributor or financing company must have at least two interns from an underrepresented group. That's it. That's it. Guess what? Let's say Warner Brothers is distributing your movie. Out of all Warner Brothers, they got to have two two interns somewhere that are part of an underrepresented group. Out of the, the dozens or maybe hundreds of interns that they've got running around these places, they just got to have two interns. Guess what? If you do that, you get standard C. You get a check mark for standard C. Duh, there you go. I mean, like I said, they aren't even going to have to think about this. This is something that 99.9% of movies that are getting some kind of release are automatically just going to be already anyway. So, check mark for that. And if for whatever reason the companies don't have two interns at minimum somewhere, then number two, the film's production or distribution or financing company. Any one of the three must offer training or work opportunities to people from these underrepresented groups. If for whatever reason, they don't automatically have number one, which I guarantee they do already. But if for whatever reason they didn't, just guys say we, we offer uh, you know a training program for people from underrepresented group. That, that's all your distributor or production company or financing company has to do. If any of those things happen, check mark, you've got check mark C. And I, I, again, I guarantee you, almost every film that comes out has already done this automatically. It's already a done thing. So there's, there's a check mark there. Remember, you only need two check marks. Now, remember, I said at the beginning that one of these is already an automatic? You would think that standard C is the automatic because it's so easy. But no, nope, here's your automatic one. Standard D. Some of the senior marketing, publicity, or distribution executives on our film. Are from an underrepresented group. The reason I'm telling you this one is already an automatic, is because in my experience, which is not the same as everybody's experience, but in my experience, just talking from a publicity standpoint, I, I I'm not exaggerating when I say about 90% of the publicity executives I've interacted with through my AMC days, complex days, on to today. I'm not, it's not an exaggeration to tell you about 90% of them have been either women or gay. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just telling you that has been my experience. So here's the thing you need to have in order to meet these new Oscar criteria that everybody's freaking out about. You only have to have two standard a standard B standard C or standard D. You just got to get a check mark on two of those. That's it. And I'm telling you right now, standard C is practically an automatic already. And standard D is an automatic already. Just by having those two, you can have a movie called Whitey McWhite in the World of Whites and have an all-white cast and you will still probably qualify under the Oscar rules. And that's not hyperbole. That's not hyperbole in the least. You are still going to qualify under the Oscar rules. To be honest with you, the thing that I'm shocked at is I'm shocked there hasn't been controversy about people saying these rules don't go far enough. I'm not saying that I think they don't go far enough. I'm just saying I'm surprised there's not controversy that there's they're not saying these things don't go far enough. Again, basically, it comes down to this. These standards are so laughably easy. You would, you would, I can make an argument that you as a movie or as a production company would have to intentionally be saying, I don't like women and I don't like gays and I don't like blacks and I don't like a, you would basically have to intentionally try to not qualify for one of these things in the Hollywood of today. And to me, this was just the Oscars. And you know, I've had my issues with the Oscars, best popular picture. What a bunch of idiots. Anyway, to me, this is simply the Oscars saying in a symbolic way, look, Hollywood, we need you guys to at least to adhere to some sort of standards. If you want us to recognize you, these are the easiest things in the world. So to all the people running around yelling quotas, this has nothing to do with quotas. Saying, oh, this great movie and this great movie wouldn't have qualified. Yeah, yeah, it would have if it was one of the last 15 years. Um, This is a very easy, laughably easy, symbolic gesture uh, by the Academy Awards in an era that kind of needs it in an industry that for over a century has had a strong, aggressive agenda of, of exclusion. So I... I don't get it. Uh, So, Rob, I I look at this, and when I really sat down and started reading through the rules and I realized, I mean, goddamn, you don't even have to try to to meet the eligibility requirements here. Your movie's just going to be eligible almost automatically, even if you don't think about it. I just don't see the uproar uh, about this. I don't see why there are people who got upset at this unless they haven't read the rules. Because I'll tell you what, Rob, one of the things I will say here is this. If the only standard, and this is the one that everybody's been focused on. If this standard A was the only thing and and the Oscars were just, nope, you've got to have, you know, X minority and X minority and X minority in your film at all times. If that was the case, I would kind of get why some people would be getting their backup. It's like, wait a minute, this might be going a little bit too far. But the reality is, as we've just laid out, You don't even have to have standard A. You don't have to meet any of these criteria. Your movie doesn't have to meet any of those criteria at all if you don't want to. There's still plenty of other ways to get enough check marks that you need to meet it. Anyway, Rob, you've read through the rules. You see what's going on here. What's your take on this whole thing?
1: Well, okay. So like you, I think it's fairly easy to – to you know adhere to these rules and i think that the idea of i'm all about bringing the the more voices the more diversity we can have in our arts and our businesses i think it strengthens the tapestry of our of our culture but and our society with the more people participating so i think the idea behind it is sound some of the things about this though that i don't like is that the Academy, like for instance, the part about publicists and marketing people, what does that have to do with winning awards? You know, and, and the Oscars are sort of, by mandating these kinds of things, I think they're overreaching the oversight that that they're expecting. While it might not affect movies and everything, I think that it's it's the Oscars saying, yeah, you know, we want to have some kind of oversight on the marketing and publicity of your movie. And who's then... Do, do I as a producer, do I then have to hire somebody to make sure because, you know, everybody who makes a movie thinks they're going to win Best Picture or they dream of it. Do we now have to hire a person that's going to be in charge of just overseeing the academy rules? And I think that there's a lot of it's just it, the amount of oversight and the direction that they're going seems odd and, and, and a bit overreaching to me. And I I don't know if it's if it benefits what they're trying to do because, you know, the academy, what you want is you want more people, marginalized people, more more minorities, people of color to make films, to work on films, to be in Hollywood, to give us new voices and new stories and things that we haven't seen or heard before, sharing the experience of what it's like to be a person growing up who's different or whatever. I mean, that's what we really want. And I'm like... This seems odd. Like I would think that the Academy would do more to promote the employment of people as opposed to like they should start a program for people to get them to work on movies, you know, like the DGA programs and things like that. And that's all. I mean, I just think I'm all for diversity and getting more people out there and in front of and behind the cameras. But this seems just a little weird to me. The whole thing seemed a little weird. And I don't care about. I think we, knew we need more – we need things like this that make it easier for people to get involved and hired and heard. We do need more of that in our in our society. And like you pointed out, Hollywood has been very exclusionary over a long period of its history. And we only get better movies. I mean how do you think we got movies like Moonlight and 12 Years a Slave? I think 25 years ago those movies wouldn't have been made much less one best picture. And I think we're better for it. But these rules are, are, I think, the idea behind them and where they go is a little odd. But the but the idea behind them is good. Yeah. See, I I don't know. I think look, uh, it's just it's to, it's like for with, for best picture, what is the mar like? It, why would you put as one of the criteria the marketing and publicity people? What does that have to do with giving the best picture award to a movie? Because I think- what you're you know, I mean what does that have to do Th- those people didn't work on the film. You know, they were they were given the movie later. So so why is there why is that even one of the criteria? Like how do we how do filmmakers control whose work we don't have control over the marketing of the movie? You know, and if we don't, if filmmakers can't control these things, then why are they a part of the consideration of the movies being made? That's all. That's the only thing that I think is odd.
0: And I think the answer to that is the Oscars basically saying, look, we are as much of Hollywood as the studios are because we are producers and founders and writers and directors Mm. and actors and cinematographers. We are Hollywood too. And what we're saying is we want Hollywood to be this. We want Hollywood to start putting some safeguards in place Against that agenda that has been a part of our industry sure. for over a century and even and uh, quite honestly, Rob, I think a part of the reason why I like publicity and stuff like I was put in was to give the filmmakers a very easy win. I think they're part of the reason why they made that a part right. of it was to give them a gimme like here's a gimme. This one's automatic because like all that, like I said, 90% of the publicists I've worked with are women or gay. And it's like, here's a gimme for you. It's just Hollywood saying that we understand that in this industry, because we saw with the Oscar So White thing, it was the final product that comes out is a byproduct of a whole systemic system that's in place that goes all the way from who writes the movies, who then promotes the movies, who are executives and powers over different and have power over different aspects of the life of a movie. And it's this, and again... What I think is really interesting and what I think is part of the genius of what these rules are is saying, hey, if none of your marketing and publicity people, although it's impossible, but if none of your marketing and publicity people meet these criteria, no big deal. You don't have to have criteria D. Just meet one of the other. Just get two of the other three. You know, I think they've just made it so lax and so easy. That's why to me it's more of the Oscars saying symbolically, hey, we need to start doing things because we've done a terrible job policing ourselves over the past century. We've done a terrible job of it. Therefore, we feel like we need to put some safeguards in place for ourselves just symbolically to say, hey, we need to at least have a part of our thinking about who are we giving opportunities to? Just a tiny, tiny, tiny part. And like I said, Rob, to me, when I look at it, when you look at the way these these, uh, criteria are broken down, I literally think you would have to intentionally want to not meet the criteria in order right. for your movie to make it. I, I and and like I look at like when I look at your film, Tango Shalom, your film qualifies. When I look at my little documentary, I didn't even think about these rules. My movie qualifies. <laughs> right. It might be a little <laughs> quality issue that might hinder me from getting an Academy Award, but you know, and I think that's the thing. And and my objection here is that a lot of the people I'm hearing objecting – not you, but a lot of the other people I'm hearing objecting are asking as if this is some burden-heavy thing with filled with all these quotas and all this stuff that's going to be a real burden on filmmakers. And nothing could be further from the truth when you actually break down and look at them. Well, but I, I yeah.
1: N- no, I – one of the things that struck me first because when I f- first reading this, it was bizarre to me thinking like, okay – if a movie is made in South Korea, like like Parasite, having been to South Korea, it's a pretty homogenous culture. <laughs> you know, I don't know. If, I don't know if I don't more so than say the United States is actually a, a pretty we're a melting pot, you know. And but there are countries in the world that are not nearly as much of a melting pot as the United States, and it just it just struck me as sort of strange. Like, are you going to keep those same criteria to company uh, to countries that have a more predominant? Uh, say ethnic group that from a from a uh, percentage standpoint, like it, it's, it was just odd. The whole thing to me was an odd way to do it. What I would like to see is I want to see more movies getting made by different kinds of people. And I think that that does this help that? are we going to get more black filmmakers or, or Asian American filmmakers or Latino filmmakers or native American indigenous people? Are we gonna get more women filmmakers? That's what we need to concentrate on. How do we need to, how do we get more diverse filmmakers and get their voices out there into the world? And I I'm all for that. And I just wonder maybe rather than make these, and by the way, these are only for the best picture. Yes. You know, they're not yes. for all the other movies. And I'm like, Just best picture, like so it's it's even more
0: limited. It makes it even easier. It's even more limited. And by the way, I forgot to mention, I forgot to mention the other brilliant thing about these rules is that they say they are going to have an appeal process. Basically, what that is is let's say for whatever reason you could only get one of those check marks, right? Let's say you were shooting in, I don't know, what, what, Greenland. I I don't know what the I don't know what the ethnic of populations and percentages are in Greenland. But for argument's sake, let's say you're shooting your thing in Greenland. And you wanted to be very authentic, you wanted to employ all local people and all that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, you could only meet one of the criteria. One of the things that's going to be a part of this Oscar things is a special is a special appeals process that's going to allow you to come before a, a committee of the, of the academy and say, look, we had extenuating circumstances that prevented us from being able to meet those criteria. And the academy is going to have the flexibility to say, that makes perfect sense. We're going to grant an exemption on that one. So they're building in a safeguard for themselves as well. And by the way, Rob, I, I agree with you 100% that what we need to see is more people getting involved in filmmaking. But you know, I, I had, I had a, a, a woman that I worked with for some time that is one of the rare black female film journalists that I've ever met. And I remember talking to her and it's like it was she didn't get involved until late because she never thought she could because she would look at all the film journalists and there were no black female film journalists. And I think when you get little things like little things like this where the Academy is saying to movies, hey guys, come on, just make sure in your executive positions you have somebody here. Make sure you're offering some training programs. Make sure you're giving some opportunities to people so that future filmmakers, future people who want to work in the film industry can look and actually see that there are positions there. There are opportunities there for me. I remember when George LaRock, the great uh, former Edmonton Oiler hockey player, you know, he said, yeah, man, I would never forget this interview with him. And it's like one of the reasons he didn't get involved, like he never thought he could actually make the NHL because he said, ain't no brothers play hockey, you know, and, <laughs> and but I mean, he persevered and he got there and he became a gateway for a lot of things. So I don't know. Well, you but- know,
1: I think that's a really good example. It, there there are people that just traditionally just never thought that they could pursue those jobs you know and it's it's true for, not just in the movie business but across the board getting getting women into stem you know um and and now you have all these trailblazers and people that's how industries get changed is people never even consider like i never thought of that you know and that's what we have to change we have to change the thinking that people know that there are opportunities here and you can come in and and we have to we have to make a society where people can dream from the time they're little kids if they want to do something they know that their socioeconomic status or their their race or their religion or their gender or their sexuality whatever will not prevent them from getting into their professions of choice yes. and, and to know that there are people out there that will offer them a helping hand. And I think that's what you do, you know, the studios too, the studios step up and they have internship programs and and they're doing that, you know, and there there are more and more people. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic, like you said, about like in marketing. There's a lot of, having worked in the industry for a long time, there is more and more diversity all the time. And I think it's great. I think it's uh, exactly what what needs to happen and across the board. Um, by the way, how did he do when he was uh, started playing hockey? George Laroc? yeah, became
0: he, well. He was mostly. Oh my God, he was a sight. People would always get excited when George would get out on the rink because somebody was going to get beat down. Like, George Larocque <laughs> was this big, strong, intimidating. He could throw his body around and he had, rem- for a big guy, he had remarkable puck skills. He had remarkable puck skills. He wasn't like the, he wasn't going to lead the team in goals or lead the team in assists, but he was remarkable puck skills, very skilled skater and like just one of the big tough guys and everybody loved George Larocque. Everybody thought he was great. Um, but I think, you know what I think, Rob, here at the end of the day, I think 10 years from now, I think like these Criteria, these rules will have been in place. And no one, 10 years from now, no one will have even discussed it or brought it up for five years. Right, because it's just such an—it's just gonna just bleed into the background. It's gonna be such an automatic thing that just happens naturally that no one's even gonna. I don't even think it's gonna be an issue. I, I just don't think it's gonna be an issue. But anyway, guys, as you know, we've kind of illustrated here. There's a lot of different moving parts to this, and and what can happen. And by the way, it doesn't get implemented right away. I think it's 2024. I yeah. think so. They're they're giving themselves and studios and and the the publicity companies and the finance companies a couple of years to get everything in order and uh i just think it's gonna be an easy thing is, guys what do you think about this jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right with that down let's move on to main topic number three and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by gabriel ray and gabriel ray writes hey john and hopefully rob rob's here I just read a report about what we all knew was going to happen in the Fast and Furious universe. Michelle Rodriguez, who of course, one of the stars of the franchise, just confirmed that Fast 9 will be going into space. What are your thoughts? And bring on the filthy brother. All right. Thanks a lot for that. Yes, it is something that a lot of us have, have you know, speculated about, wondered about, thought about. And even at some point not too long ago. Uh, I think it was ludicrous, even kind of alluded, that kind of hint that maybe it could be something. Anyway, Michelle Rodriguez was just recently being interviewed for a show on Sirius X, uh, X, uh, whatever it is, Sirius XM, FM, whatever Sirius is called. And they brought up, hey, so is Fast and Furious going to space in nine? Michelle Rodriguez said the following. Oh, no way. How did you guys find that out? See what happens? People start talking behind the scenes, man. When a movie doesn't come out and forget about it, things get out. Nobody was supposed to know that. Oh, well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not lucky enough to hit space. But we did get a female writer and showed that and showed a lot of love, I think, on this one. Okay, so Michelle Rodriguez, basically, it sounds like she's saying, yes, we're going to space. Her character won't be. So that means probably only one or two characters are probably going to be. But, Rob, just to play devil's advocate for a second. There is a, also a, a possibility here Michelle Rodriguez is playing around. Because everybody, is. In, everybody in the world heard Ludacris say what he said. So for her to act, wait, what? Ludacris said what? I never heard that. he. The whole world knew Ludacris said what he said. So maybe she's just playing around or maybe... This is a coordinated effort that the studio... I mean, there's some truth to what she's saying. When a movie is done and just sitting there, the more and more time that goes by, more and more stuff could get out. And maybe this is just a studio knowing, okay, this, this is about to get out. So we might as well start taking control of the narrative and having our actors kind of confirm that this is what's going to happen. Maybe it'll even be in a trailer. But I will say this. I do believe that Fast and Furious 9 is going to space. I believe that. However, even though I believe that, I still have a little bit of pessimism. Uh, There's still a part of me that thinks this is just a a play, that this is just, we're being gamed a little bit here. Um, But if I had to put a dollar on it, yeah, between what's been said before and what's being said now and all this kind of stuff, if I had to put a dollar on it, Yeah, I I think I think Dom is going to strap a rocket to, you know, some firebird and he's going to go off a big ramp and hit the hit the whatever the what is the name of the fuel night, something like that nitrous nitrous. They're going to hit the nitrous and you're going to blow him into orbit, man. He's going to catch something that was floating in space with his bare hand he's going to roll down his window in outer space because he's dom and he can do that he's going to reach out his hand and grab the russian satellite mid-flight and pull it into his car still totally fine he'll shake off the the frost burn on his arm and he'll come back down to earth and land safe something like that rob you hear these comments what do you make of michelle rodriguez's comments here
1: i think she was kidding I mean, and I'll tell you why. Like, I love, as you know, I dearly love the Fast and the Furious franchise. I have loved it less. Fast Five, to me, was the the best movie in the franchise. And since then, Fast Six, Seven, and Eight, Fate of the Furious, have been varying degrees of lesser than Fast Five. And I just think that while it's become this James Bond global espionage franchise, the idea of going into space strains even that credulity. I mean, it's <laughs> uh, it's, it's just I, I'm like going into space is just not easy. It's not like you can hook up or or, or rebuild a car's engine and have it fly into space. So the, the the need for one of the crew, one of our one of our stalwart cast of characters, the need for them to go into space, much less how they would go into space, I can't imagine any scenario unless I mean. Look, James Bond went into space in Moonraker. So that didn't maybe, work out so well, though. <laughs> no, maybe they'll find out that, you know, Hugo Drax or, or the villain character, Cypher, maybe Charlie there and has a space, uh, a space launching platform in the middle of the Amazon, you know, and they have to take a glass drawn boat over the falls and get in there to stop her from going to her orbital base and uh, poisoning the atmosphere of the whole planet. I mean. If they want to go that way. But would that really be Fast and the Furious anymore? Would it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I know. guys.
0: I, I, I Listen, I, I share a part of Rob's pessimism. Of this. Dude. John, I think there's I'll tell a good you, though, chance it's
1: not there. The one thing I would say. That the only person that I would accept. And you know this. The only person that I think should go to space. Is Han. Han. Because I would truly get behind that. If I could see Han in orbit. In orbit above us all, John, with his great hair and his little crackers and the justice he so richly deserves. Then I would be like, all is right with the world. Han Maybe that's where orbit. he's
0: been hiding out. Maybe he's been Han hiding is- out on a space station in orbit for all these years. And now he's there. Han, ladies Hashtag and gentlemen. Hashtag
1: orbit for Han.
0: Orbit Jeez, for- oh, let's not get that started. All right, guys. <laughs> Question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that Fast and Furious is indeed going into space? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our live questions that you guys have been firing in. Once again, if you guys have a comment or question you want to get on the show, send it on into streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can find the link in the top of the description below. Uh, Remember, keep it reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. All right, guys, let's get on over to it. And the first thing we're going to start off here is Taj and Cars, who writes, "Uh, my Shuri and Spider-Man team-up movie idea. I remember that. Uh, I'm like that Keen Peel skit about Gremlins 2. For those of you who don't know, Taj and Cars a while ago wrote in this idea. Rob, I can't remember if you were here on the show or not. He sent this idea for a Marvel movie. Like, everybody writes in ideas for Marvel movies, fan ideas, but I got to admit, this one caught my attention. The idea of Shuri, young Shuri, and young Peter Parker on kind of like a buddy cop kind of movie of their own like trying to solve a particular problem and fight a particular villain. I lost my mind over that idea. I think I think that would be genius. I would buy my tickets for that a year in advance for that. Do you would or do you think that's something that they could look at in the future? I mean, right Spider-Man rights notwithstanding?
1: I love that idea. You know, I mean, they're both scientific geniuses. And and it would be, uh, I, I think that would be uh, some globe-trotting adventure. Why not? I, I maybe as a series, you know, like a limited, an eight-part limited series. They they, and it's interesting. What if they were both at like a science conference together, like Peter Parker? And Shuri didn't know that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, you know? And they Ooh. met because Shuri Shuri knows uh, uh, Shuri's scientific. Once Wakanda has gone public, Shuri would be a big draw in the scientific field everything that she knows she's the smartest one of the smartest women on the planet and wouldn't it be interesting if peter parker is like a fan of hers gosh i really admire you you know and they he gets to go meet her and that's why he wanted to go to the conference outside of being spider-man he just wanted to meet shuri because of of how he admires her and then they wind up uh, and she's like wait a minute you're a superhero he's like ah yeah well I'm okay, now, they,
0: they were obviously both there at the portals battle where Peter was just, you know, f- f- just on the whim, telling everybody, "Hi, I'm Peter Parker." Hey, Peter Parker. Right, that's true. And, and 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 weren't they also both at Tony's funeral? I think sure. I think sure he was at Tony's funeral. Was she not? Because Peter was clearly there. So I don't know. Uh, I, my I guess would be that she would know. My guess would, but I don't know. It could be. But well, she's like, just
1: one of the smartest people on the planet. Then she's they, supposed they to be, be the me.
0: smartest person in the planet.
1: Or maybe they know each other but but like Shuri just went uh, and it's Peter Parker – because the world doesn't know. Well, I guess the world does know now depending on what happens at the end of – Far from home. Well, yeah, either way, getting them together on an adventure would be fun. I'm I mean, I'm
0: down. I like the way you set it up, though. All right, next up, Jesse writes I'm not sure if it's because I like the trailer so much or if it's just because this year hasn't been, say, the best for upcoming movies, but the Netflix film, uh, The Devil All the Time, has become one of my most anticipated films of the year. I just finally, that speaking of Toby, uh, Toby McGuire, speaking of Tom Holland, I was thinking about another Spider Man. Um, that's a new one coming out. Robert Pattinson as well. I was not thrilled with the trailer. I just read the first review of it this morning. Oh. I read the Hollywood Reporter's review for it. Wasn't great. It says the performances uh. are really good, uh, though. I, they didn't say it was a bad film, but I wasn't reading great things about it. Um, I, and again, I am i know a lot of people really did like the trailer. To me, it felt like a very retreaded sort of thing so i wasn't totally stoked about although i love the people in it rob where have you heard much about uh, this one because i believe it comes out like really soon if not today or something like that
1: yeah i mean i did see the trailer and the trailer looked really intriguing to me um you know like sort of the southern gothic whatever i i'm like i don't quite know what's going on but i was intrigued i'm bummed out to hear that the review you read wasn't All more want- glowing
0: only one just one yeah, but just i'll one definitely single review.
1: i mean it's definitely something i'm gonna watch just because the people in it you know even if the movie's not so great i just want to watch all those people act yeah you know because i think there's a lot of great. people
0: very ex, very excited to see um robert pattinson right now i think a lot of people I mean, are excited have you to seen pattinson.
1: you know chloe Zhao, who's this is totally aside but chloe Zhao, who directed eternals for marvel right she has a movie coming out called no man land Nomad. Nomadland. No, Nomadland. Yeah. The trailer for Nomadland is one single shot of Francis McDormand just walking through like an RV camp. That's it. <laughs> That's the whole trailer. And I'm like, I've never seen a trailer like that. But I'll watch this movie only because I don't care what it's about. I'll watch anything that Francis McDormand is in. And, and you know, uh, if we're, we're now getting into a world where, where it, it – Trailers don't matter. Trailers do matter, as you will cover in your movie. But, um, yeah, I, I, I see trailers, and I will watch movies just because of who's in them. And that's that's what I, I, I mean, I don't even know these movies are coming out. I didn't even have Nomad Land on my radar at all until I saw Francis McDormand in one shot in a trailer. And I'm like, I'll watch it. And I feel the same way about this film. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. I just want to watch these actors work.
0: All right, let's move on. Next one up is uh, Toba1917 writes, Hi, the movie The Devil All the Time, based on the book of the same name, is on Netflix next Wednesday. There you go. That answers my question. Uh, it's on Netflix next it. Wednesday. But I just saw the movie will be available in theaters like Alamo and Landmark beginning this Friday. I haven't seen Netflix doing this before. Your thoughts? Oh, they've done it before. They've done it a couple of times before, actually. They did it for Roma. They did it for Irishman. Uh, they've taken advantage of that uh, every now and again when they when they can. You're not going to see it in like the major theaters theater chains because that breaks the rules uh, that they have but but this is something they have done before and it will be something that they do again in the future for certain for certain titles Uh, what what you talking Uh, writes holy shit Kim's convenience is a hilarious show and to think I didn't even know it existed until two weeks ago I wonder why Netflix didn't advertise it at all I never saw it on there. Kim's convenience I you guys I, I didn't really even I was aware of it but I never watched a single episode until like a month ago, I think. And it is one of my all time favorite comedy shows now ever. Um, It is so good. And what you talking like, instead of saying, what are you talking about? What you talking is what they say all the time. Uh, Appa and Uma. This show is like, I no hyperbole here, guys. It's one of the greatest comedy shows I've ever seen. It's got heart and it's hilarious and it's funny. And some of the best characters ever, you get attached to them immediately um you gotta see it just watch the first episode and i think you'll be hooked so i'm glad you started watching it watch you uh all right andy hong writes hey john get ready for a long one okay and andy uh, tipped in a hundred dollars thank you so much andy for supporting the channel on that level man we really appreciate that dude all right one of seven uh get ready for a long one supernatural finished its last day of filming today i heard about that uh cast and crew bid their emotional goodbyes on social media but i don't feel ready to say goodbye I was a 12 year old with raging hormones, uh, but had Internet that was limited to only weekend uses by my strict Asian parents being bored out of my mind and um, angsty and curious. I saw Supernatural on TV during season three and the episode was titled Sin City. So I thought, oh, so there's probably going to be hot chicks in this episode. I wasn't wrong, but I didn't expect this show to become my most favorite thing tied with DC Comics. Uh, Supernatural was there when I was in middle school and high school, college, after college and, it, and uh, will show its last seven episodes. When I've recently started my career, I watched some episodes again when my best friend started watching in 2018 and we noticed that he and I both eerily share a lot in common with Sam and Dean, respectively, to the point that we believed that Eric Kripke was Chuck ripping the Winchesters off of us. Us, only making them way sexier and putting them in paranormal setting the show meant even more to me for deepening my bond with uh with him and my sisters making me a better brother it's probably stupid of me to feel so emotional about a show but the winchesters have been with me for more than half of my life while other interests had either ended soon sooner uh watch game of thrones for five years or never ends dc comics and not uh, uh naruto uh what are is what is your advice on moving on uh from something like this i'm glad the show will be ending on a thursday instead of a monday like it was supposed to in may i didn't want to to wallow in my emotions for the rest of the work days also thank you for taking uh taking time with and reading my message well listen thanks a lot for writing that in man and look supernatural is a show Rob knows because I I talk supernatural all the time, <laughs> even when we're not doing the show. You talking
1: us. about supernatural? No, I
0: I like supernatural is a show that to me, um, I was I got on board with a little late. I got on board with supernatural a little bit late, and I I think I I, I got picked up on it somewhere in season two, at first. And I quickly went back and rewatched and watch season one and, and everything from that original main storyline of the yellow eyed demon, which was their base. Their first major storyline was the yellow eyed demon. And I fell in love with it. And I quickly realized that these were just some of my favorite characters just to hang out with on a weekly basis whether it was Sam Dean and Bobby, or Sam Dean and Castiel, or then then Crowley came into it. And Crowley became one of my all-time favorite television characters, um, played by Mark. Oh, I'm forgetting the actor's last name. He's on Doom Patrol now as a recurring character. But anyway, um, I just, year after year after year, even when they didn't have the best storylines, I was still completely attached to that show just because of the characters. It was just the characters and I couldn't get away from them. And it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that it's coming to an end. Um, I, you know, if, if there is any silver lining, Rob, out of the COVID, you know, delays, it's been that supernatural ain't over yet. There's still more to come. It would have been (laughs) over by now. Um, But anyway, Rob, this thing was 15th season. Like, crazy. I think it's less than 1% of television shows make it that far. Yeah. And anyway, your thoughts on the closing now of Supernatural?
1: I can't believe they went on after the apocalypse happened. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, much less 15 seasons. I mean, when did the world end? And they keep going. Um, and then, you know, the inevitable Supernatural TV movie will be av- announced and the spinoff series. And no, it's no, I think it's a, a pretty great accomplishment. And, and you know, I, I never really watched the show, but um, I, I love when these things go on. And it, although I have to say it's up my alley, but it's been daunting to think, well, if I start this show, how many episodes do I have to watch now? Many, many, <laughs> many, 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 many. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's great, it's cool. They're kind of people are excited about it. I I like when shows end with sort of a an acknowledgment that that it becomes an event. I think it's right. good. And good for the course, fans.
0: We can look forward to seeing the Winchesters. One is going to be the new Walker Texas Ranger and one is going to be Soldier Boy in season 3 of the boys the original superhero Ooh, a new episode
1: dropped today yeah yes i
0: know i got i haven't watched it yet i gotta (laughs) go watch it today you know what i i I know there are some people really butthurt about it but i kind of am loving this week by week schedule because it's it's made it really easy for me and my wife to watch them together and we look forward every week now to watching the new episode together and i'm really i'm personally really digging it I'm right there with you,
1: man. I mean, we used to have uh, you know, mando mornings when the Mandalorian was on yep. every Friday, you know, and you enjoy your coffee. You could stay up on Thursday nights but enjoy your coffee and watch Mandalorian before I would do the show with you. And I think the boys, this idea that people like can you can you imagine a more first world entitled problem than being mad that you can't binge a whole series all at once? I mean, yeah, yeah, I, know. It's, I mean i i like that we've talked about we've talked about this for two years on this show how we want to space out our shows that it's nice to have that experience i think it's i get good. it
0: i i totally understand the idea of, of sitting down and binging i do it i totally yeah. get it
1: i but, love to do that too
0: but it's way smarter for a network to do it this way and and i'm i'm enjoying because now i get to look for every week i've got something to look forward to now and uh and talk about it and you know i'm going to be talking about it. anyway let's let's keep on moving We've got more to get to here uh caleb writes hey john and rob thoughts on david ayers comments that his suicide squad cut was pg-13 and would have appealed more to the kids which he calls comic book movies core audience thanks yeah, I saw that. Rob, I don't know if you saw Ayer's comments. Of course, there's a lot of... There's a belief out there that David Ayer's version of the movie uh, would have been rated R. David Ayer came out and said, actually, no, my my thing was always going to be PG-13. Uh, you got to make it available to kids. Kids are the core audience. I mm. don't necessarily fundamentally disagree with that. Like, yeah, like, kids are, is part of the core. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I, that's true, but... To suggest there's any kind of an exclusion to that, that it is the kids are the core audience and only they can be the core audience and can't be for anybody else. I disagree with that. We have grown up with these comic book characters and they are a core part of, of our understanding of mythology and wonder and amazement and all that kind of stuff. And we bring that with us into adulthood. These are very much for us as well. Deadpool kind of proves that. But I I get what he was saying that, you know, for a lot of these movies, it is best to keep it PG-13. I don't disagree with that. For the most part, that's usually true, but not always. And I get that his, that's what he targeted as. So I'm, I'm fine with his comments. Rob, what did you think
1: about what he said? I mean, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm fine with that, too. But the idea that the Suicide Squad is armed or is aimed at kids, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's about a group of uh, criminals, hardened criminals that are sent on missions where they're probably going to get killed. Now, I think kids dig that kind of thing, but I don't think this is necessarily directed at them. Although I did start reading Suicide Squad back in the 80s when I was a teenager. So maybe I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, different ways of looking at it, but I, I I get what he's saying. All right, I know again, no necessarily agree, but I get what he's saying. Caleb also writes, uh, "You mother effers, you think you can do this to me? Oh, this is some Denzel in here. Um, you mother effers will be playing ball in Pelican Bay when I'm done with you. Uh, who you think you're effing with? I run shit here. You just live here. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Truly, one of the goat performances won him an Academy Award, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the same year that Halle Berry." If I'm not mistaken, I think the same year Halle Berry won her award for Monster or Monsters Ball, I should say, and I think that's also the same year that they gave the Lifetime Achievement Award to Sydney Poitier. If I'm not mistaken, I mean that was that was a really interesting year. But <clears> yeah, that is that is one of the the Training Dre Training Day by the way, also Dave, co-starring, written by David Ayer. And speaking of David Ayer, written by David Ayer, and correct me if I'm wrong, was. Was Handsome Hawk nominated for Best Supporting Actor in that? I thought Ethan Hawke was nominated for. He might have been. I can't remember. Might have been.
1: I can't I tell remember. you. I love Denzel Washington, but I love me some Denzel Washington. A <laughs> Training Day. Oh my get god! Up, get it up in there. On, I just it's just the that performance. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> I would I would love to see that character him playing that character in any movie. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, if if that character would show up in Star Wars episode, whatever. He just somehow got trans. I love – he is so good in that. I mean, between that and, like, Crimson Tide, man, I love me some Denzel. You know what movie he did that
0: I don't think he gets – nobody talks about it nearly enough – because I thought it was a really fun movie. It just looked kind of dumb. But it's a really good fun movie. I believe it's called. It's the one he did with Chris Pine. I believe it's called Unstoppable. The one oh, yeah. on the train.
1: That's a Tony Scott. Look, it, was, anytime, yeah, it was. I think it was the last film
0: directed by Tony Scott. Was it not?
1: <laughs> the most unsung film duo in history. Denzel Washington and Tony Scott. I could watch all of those movies. Like Deja Vu. They might not be the greatest movies in the world, but I will never not watch them if I come across them on cable and I own them all on Blu-ray because I can't get enough. Yeah,
0: I I love that one. Okay, uh, next up, Isaac Beebe writes, is it weird to say that my favorite trailer of the year so far, movies, TV show, or games, was Hamilton on Disney? Not at all, especially if you were familiar with Hamilton and you were looking forward to Hamilton. If you were somebody who was looking forward to that, yeah, this is just, I mean, really from a... Technical artistic point of view, was the trailer for Hamilton really all that great? Probably not. But if you were super stoked for Hamilton to see that trailer come, that's got It's It's kind of like, you know, if you're super stoked for an MCU movie, it might not actually be the greatest trailer, but it's going to get your blood pumping. You're going to get excited for it because it's something you were really looking forward to. I think I think that's totally understandable. Rob, it has been a very... mm, Let's say Slim Pickens this year, yeah. as even as far as trailers go. But what would you say is like your favorite trailer of the year so far?
1: <laughs> the trailer for Freaky that I watched yesterday. Wasn't that good? <laughs> Wasn't that the, a good trailer? Of, I was that dude. Uh, I, that movie was completely not on my radar at all. And yeah, I, I'm like, uh, first of all, what an irresistible idea, and second of all. Getting, getting our boy to play that role is so good. Oh, having I mean, Vince in that. Oh, Vince Vaughn play. You know, Vince, Vince Vaughn has had a very interesting career of late. I mean, going from things like the brawl and Cell Block, whatever the number is, you know, and then doing this. I mean, he's just having a ball.
0: And You know <laughs> like, what? I can, I, he didn't get enough credit for True Detective Season 2. I know no. True Detective Season 2 was a step down from True Detective Season 1. I get it. But he was really good in that. Like oh, yeah. he, I thought I thought he was exceptionally good in that. He's just a really good. But you're, we were getting ready to do the show yesterday. And Aaron said like two minutes before we started the show, Aaron Cummings is like, Hey, there's have you seen the new trailer for Freaky? I said, oh, I saw some email about it from the publicist. I, I, I don't think it looks all that interesting. And then she started watching on her phone. It sounded kind of funny. she go, oh, Vince Vaughn's in this. I'm like, oh, all right. I'll, I'll check it out. Speaking of Supernatural, uh, the girl, the main girl in it is from Supernatural. And well, like, oh, okay, I'll check this out. And by the end of that trailer, I'm like, I'm sold. As soon as I saw from the director of Happy Death Day, I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's see where this goes. And by the end of it, it had completely won me over. I'm like, I'm totally charmed. I'm totally yeah, I- charmed.
1: I I love the whole idea behind it. You know, the the, the spin on Freaky Friday and all that. It's just what a cool idea that is. And it just looks like it. I hope it delivers, but it really looks like it delivers on its premise and it doesn't skimp on the gore and it's in your face. God love Blumhouse.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, let's see how it turns out. All right. Next up, Uh, when you stop. The Walking Dead, season eight, same. Uh, I dropped out two seasons ago, talking about Walking Dead, and then heard how good it got uh, and came back. There's a time skip which rejuvenated the show. Got to give season nine a shot to see how you feel. Or to be honest, you could start with season nine, episode five, Rick's last episode without seeing last few and still following everything. Trust me. Uh, Here's the thing. Yeah, I, I never knew Hearst, who played Ope on Sons of Anarchy one of my all time another one of my all time favorite television characters. I never knew he was in the show until just the other day. But honestly, I again I, I have no intention of going back to finish Walking Dead. I watched a lot of seasons of Walking Dead. And I was just walking deaded out. I'm just walking dead out. You know, I I and so even though I I love Hearst and all that kind of stuff, I've got too many other things to watch that I'm actually really interested in that I haven't watched yet besides taking up my time watching even more seasons of the show, I've already watched for many years. And and quite honestly, you know, I never loved. I never loved Walking Dead. I liked a lot of it. I liked wa- a lot of Walking Dead. But I never loved Walking Dead. And so I, I watched a lot. Of, I think I watched seven or eight seasons. And then I was good. Rob, have you kept up with Walking Dead at all?
1: No. When Negan first came in, I kind of... I kind of I was up till then. I mean, I caught up, t- and I like you. I first of all, I love the first season of Walking Dead. What is it, six episodes or something? I love that season. I love you know the whole Romero as walking zombie universe. But then it got to the point where I'm like, why don't you guys just get in a Winnebago and go to Wyoming? You know, it got to the point where I'm like, why are you putting up with all of this? <laughs> you know, just go somewhere where there's less people or less assholes. You know, I'm like, I don't why. And yeah. it, it just it it just gets to the point where. You know, the degradation and all of it, it got just, just tiresome. These people just bothered me. I'm like, do something more with your lives.
0: <laughs> all right. Next up, uh, John Klobacher writes, this is a very interesting situation. I'm not quite sure that that's a reference to uh, probably a statement I've used a lot. Um, Rogue Mammoth writes, hey, John and Rob, Tommy Lee Jones was in three comic book movies, Batman Forever, Men in Black and Captain America, First Adventure. That's true. We've been talking about trying to come up with actors who have been in at least three that's a pretty good... one. Again, Men in Black, not the traditional comic book movie like a Wonder Woman or Green Lantern or, or Captain America. But, I mean, you, you are technically correct. That's another So that's another one we can add to that list. Red, well, well thought out, Rogue Mammoth. All right, next up, Eric Huffman writes, You've said many times in the show, and I agree with you, that Kevin Feige is being groomed to eventually step into Alan Horn's role. But with him being a big uh, Star Trek fan, what do you think the Trek universe would look like under Feige's leadership? Oh, Uh, I don't know. I mean, clearly it's not something he would ever actually do not, not with what he has ahead of him now, but what would it look like? I I have no idea. I like, here's the thing. I don't know. Well, (laughs) I I think Star Trek looks pretty good now, but I, I mean, it all depends. I don't know. It all depends on what is it that he likes and what would be the things that he would want to do with it? Because Rob I might suggest to you as your friend that were he to go more of make it feel more like Marvel films I I don't know that people like Scott or yourself would necessarily like that or or appreciate I just I it all depends on what he thinks would make Star Trek beloved and popular with an audience today and I I, honestly it's hard to know I haven't heard him talk enough about it to really have a good picture myself about what Kevin Feige's Star Trek universe would look like because I'll tell you what Rob I don't think Kevin Feige's Star Trek universe would look anything like the next generation or anything like the original series I just don't know what it would look like so it's hard for me to say although it'd be in pretty good hands but I don't know what do you think it would look like.
1: Well, I I mean, I think Star Trek lives and dies by the stories that it tells. And, you know, lately I've been immersed with Elizabeth rewatching. We watched all the original series again, and we're in a fifth season of Next Generation now. And one of the things that that I think is missing completely from Star Trek, and it has been since 2009, is the aspirational nature of not just, you know, if Michael Burnham gives an aspirational speech, that doesn't mean the show is aspirational. And what I really loved about Star Trek is that you have a group of very competent people confronting difficult problems. And together, based on their abilities, they surmount those problems. And those problems were allegorically relate back to us today. And I really think that uh, what I miss from Star Trek is having, and this is what he would bring from the Marvel Universe. Again, you have a bunch of exceptional people that despite their differences come together to solve problems or save the world or save the universe in the, ex- in the in the case and i think he would he would bring that aspirational nature back to star trek star trek has become too grim dark there there's too much death and destruction and horror that is in modern star trek and he would eliminate all of that
0: the guy who oversaw the snap and wiping out half the universe would eliminate all that.
1: Yes. Yes, he would. You think? And, uh, re, re, yes. And by the way, destroy Asgard. Didn't come up, he, and <laughs> yes, yes, he would.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, next one up here. We've got Jesse who writes, I've always been a fan of fast, uh, of the fast franchise, uh, ever since I was a little kid, but I have to tell you the last one I actually enjoyed was seven. Uh, F8 and Hobbs and Shaw really felt like a downgrade in quality to me Uh, with how ridiculous F9 both looks and sounds I can see the scene with my head perfectly in the trailer we see a Pontiac Fiero with a rocket engine. didn't I just say this with a rocket engine on the roof Um, I guarantee at some point uh, in this film we will see Dominic Toretto launch that Fiero into space I'm sure it'll be some big dramatic moment when he goes off a jump or something uh, and it looks like he's going to crash but he'll flip a switch and push a button and blast off into space in a 1986 pontiac i bet you that is creepy and i can confirm that jesse did not write this after i said what i said or he didn't write this before i said what oh, No, sorry he did not write that after i said what he said because he wrote mm-hmm. that 13 hours ago so i i that's it's kind of freaky anyway uh listen i'll tell you what rob to what jesse was saying I was not a fan of the Fast and the Furious from the beginning. As a, as a matter of fact, I kind of actively disliked Fast and the Furious. I, I was turned off by the first one because it was such a blatant ripoff of Point Break, like a plot point by plot point <laughs> ripoff of Point Break that it completely turned me off. Two, I thought was terrible. Three, I thought was terrible. I know it's the one we got Han. I know. you.
1: <laughs> I love Tokyo three. Tokyo Drift.
0: I get it. But I didn't. I didn't <laughs> like it. It was, I remember for me, it was Fast and Furious 4 that I went to go see it and I went with a buddy of mine who was another film journalist and I was like, I went begrudgingly like, ah, <laughs> oh, it's the next Fast and the Furious movie. And that was the first one that I came out of and went, you know what? That wasn't half bad. And it was also kind of the first one that that you could tell was starting to embrace what it was going to become in five, six, seven—you know—it was kind of embracing that new identity of it. Yeah. And I loved, I, 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 I kind of liked four. I loved five. Six is actually my favorite. I loved hmm. six. Uh, I really liked seven. I liked eight, but like many people, I, I was starting to feel it a little bit in eight. I still enjoyed it. But, and I had a lot of fun with Hobbs and Shaw. It was very different. It, it wasn't really yeah. in the Fast and Furious universe, but I still had a, I had a good time. I got a big kick out of it. But but I can, I can see what he's saying. I mean, they, this is a franchise that has gone through identity changes. And I feel like it's kind of in eight, maybe even in seven, you could start to feel it maybe starting to have another identity change, maybe going to that next level of kind of preposterousness that you're thinking about. How, what would you say to, to Jesse's uh, comments?
1: Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I look, I love, I liked the Fast and Furious franchise from the beginning just because I like, you know, B-movie cop thrillers, <laughs> whatever. Rob Cohen directed it. And I, I liked it. You know, I didn't think it was the greatest film in the world. It didn't really register to me. So, and part two I thought was a step down. John Singleton directed that, but it was still fun. You know, it, was, it reminded me of seeing a cable movie on, when I was a teenager. But when I went and saw three, it, this seems so strange but to me three was like watching a whole different kind of movie because i love anything to do with japan you know i love anything to do with japan and the story of the fish out of water and coming across the the punk yakuza wannabe and the the ethnically a diverse girl who was really pretty and kind of looked like an alien and i loved her and and then of course han and i'm like i want to be that guy Han Han is the Captain Kirk to me of this Fast and the Furious franchise. Uh, And and I just, I loved it, you know, and then I was totally locked into it. And then, like you said, four, I really liked, but then five to me, I'm like, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> so, and then yeah, yeah, the, the six was good. I thought six was really good, but the end, the the air, the airport runway scene just goes on too long. And it does. It does. It, yep. It, and it's it's just like I'm like, come on. But I liked it. I mean, I like six. Seven was compromised, but I still liked seven. And eight, you know, the nuclear, the torpedo, and the nuclear submarine. I'm like, this is so. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I even I have a hard time. Taking it seriously, Fast and, and Furious I've, Five, the Citizen
0: Kane of the Fast and
1: Furious Citizen movies. Kane, it totally is, totally is.
0: All right, let's get one last one in here while Rob's still here. Uh, Kyle Schroeder writes, there are two inevitabilities. Fast and Furious goes to space and Tom Cruise literally goes to space. Thanos would be proud. I mean, that's the one thing here, Rob. Fast and Furious can go to space, but Tom Cruise is actually going into space to shoot his, at least part of his movie will actually be shot in outer space. I, I mean, with everything that's gone on with COVID and and even in Tom Cruise news now, where they were folks a little bit more on the next Mission Impossible that is still something that is hard for me to wrap my head around, that he's actually going to go into outer space. And he's working with Elon Musk to do this, to shoot, actually shoot a movie like Dom. They'll strap a racket to his car and send him in a CGI way into space. But Tom Cruise is actually going to space. I I, I have we just. Are we just distracted from that? Because like, like, to me, that's still something we should be talking about every day. Like, that Tom Cruise is actually going to be good. Do you think this actually still actually happens? Because he says he's they're doing it. Elon Musk says it's absolutely happening. Do you think this is something that's actually going to do? Will this actually happen?
1: It, you know what? <laughs> it probably will. But the thing is, going to space... And filming something in space, I think when you look at a movie like, say, Gravity, Sandra Bullock and Gravity, I think you can recreate what space looks like easier on Earth than even if you were in space. I mean, maybe if if you're spacewalking over the Earth itself, you could make it work, but you're never going to get the feeling of being in space the way movies have presented it. If you actually go into space, because the sunlight, everything that happens, it's just different. You know, it's different. Look, our version of what we believe in space is movie space, and when we you really get into space, it's like, eh. That I, looks I don't good, know. But, but
0: isn't it? Isn't that a huge marketing thing? It's like you're going to yes. see shots that were actually shot in oh, no, outer I think space. It's a huge,
1: I think it's a huge marketing thing, and I hope they would maximize doing it. I mean, can you imagine? You'd have to go on a spacewalk. You have to, I mean, Tom Cruise has got to be in, in a space suit and go on a spacewalk, which means, you, you know, that your DP has to go in space too. So who's going to shoot the movie? Tom's in space. Do you but, think he's. I, uh, come on. I, I don't know that he's actually going to do a spacewalk. He's got to do a
0: spacewalk. He's go I, in, he has to go into space. <laughs> I, I don't Literally. Man, if he does. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, guys. <laughs> Rob, we've kept you a little bit over time. Thanks a lot for being here today, dude. Uh, May you have a terrific weekend. And in the meantime, where can people follow you and uh, your adventures online?
1: Uh, My adventures on, first of all, I just want to shout out that today is 9-11. And for anybody that had relatives or people Mm. in New York, you know, that uh, they lost 19 years ago. It was 19, yeah, 19 years. Just want to shout out for that. But you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. You can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Or you can find me at my own youtube show what is it called Rob observations on the brunette work on youtube
0: all right dude thanks a lot for being here and we will talk to you again soon my friend all right uh, take it easy all right guys we still have uh, some time left here so let's keep uh, ripping through your questions here uh next one up comes to us from justin graves and justin writes i can see it now academy We in the Academy acknowledge uh, that you have a superior film, but that other film had gay female midgets in color. Try harder next time. Again, see, that's the problem, Justin. So many people are acting as if that has anything to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. You could have, again, like I said earlier, you can do a movie, if you actually read the rules, you can do a movie called Whitey McWhite in the World of Whites, and you can still, you'll still qualify. You can still qualify. So this this uh, panic that a bunch of people online are trying to create saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. That that one of the actual best movies won't qualify. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. It, so ignore, ignore everybody saying stuff like that. Ignore because they just don't know what they're talking about. They clearly haven't read the rules or they're purposefully trying to hold on to this agenda of exclusion uh, because if you read the rules – you know that this is not a situation that's going to happen. That's not a situation that's going to happen if you actually read the rules. And and that's the thing. We live right now kind of in a culture and society that desperately wants – that has a desperate, I should say, lack of an attention span. And they read a headline and they base their – their whole life philosophy on that headline. They'll base their entire belief structure of a certain topic based on a headline that they read that they didn't actually go into and research it or didn't actually read beyond the headline. So they see a bunch of writers saying, oh, Oscar's uh, gonna have a bunch of quotas now for actors in the movies. No, they're not. No, they're not. If you actually read the rules, you see that's not the case. If you actually see the rules, you'll see that this is so laughably easy that 99% of the movies are going to qualify Without even thinking. They're not even going to, they're just going to go, oh, there's new rules. Oh, look at that. We already qualify and we didn't even think about it. I mean, that's going to be the reality of the situation. So, yes, uh, that sort of uh, situation there won't be something that we have to worry about. All right. Uh, What's next? Uh, Paulus Nuts writes, whatever happened to Ryan Felipe? That's actually a good question. Uh, He has the looks and the talent. How come he never became an A list star or even a B list star? Oh, I, I would make an argument that he did. The very fact that you can mention his name and we all know who he is. I think that's a testament that he kind of did achieve high B-list. I'd say high B-list he did achieve at some point or even B-list star. He's been in a lot of straight to DVD movies on Netflix. Uh, Is it possible for him to have a comeback on the big screen? It's absolutely possible for him to have a comeback. It absolutely is. I mean, we've seen it happen before. And there haven't been a lot of what you'd call massive controversies surrounding him. So I think it's definitely possible. Um, I don't know. It just He just kind of faded away. I don't know if his breakup with Reese Witherspoon soured some people on him. I mean, I don't know. I'm just speculating at this point. But I would make the argument, Polly, that's he did get up there. I, I think he did get up there. All right. And anom's Viewer writes, what's the biggest dumpster fire? Star Wars sequel trilogy or the DCEU? Uh, Turd Sandwich or Giant, whatever. I would argue that neither of them were dumpster fires. Listen, the DCEU other than birds of prey i have liked at minimum i've at least liked all the dceu films other than birds of prey and i flat out loved a couple of them like obviously man of steel one a top 10 greatest comic book movie of all time i love shazam i really liked wonder woman and uh, and aquaman um i i like i quite like batman versus superman i liked justice league uh, I liked Suicide Squad. I mean, it's a hot mess of a movie, by So I don't think that is. And with Star Wars, I love uh, The Force Awakens. Love The Force Awakens. I liked The Last Jedi, although you could start to see the non-planning issues coming into play there by The Last Jedi. And then certainly I didn't like Rise of Skywalker. But the reality is those films all averaged over a billion dollars of film. And they certainly have their fans. I, I would argue neither of them were dumpster fires. I mean, DCU and Star Wars both have a lot of drama going on. Or DCU is moving past it at this point. Star Wars still has a lot of drama going on that they got to. They got to correct and fix. But yeah, I would actually argue neither of them are. Uh, but that's just my 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 position on that. David Crabtree writes, I'm all in after seeing Freaky trailer. Me too, dude. Uh, I do wish it was coming out before Halloween, but oh well, everyone's comparing it to Freaky Friday. Well, that's because it that they're calling it, they're comparing it to Freaky Friday because even the title of the movie is comparing it to Freaky Friday. Uh they're comparing it to Freaky Friday, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, they remade the hot chick. <laughs> There's actually a little bit of the hot chick in there too. Um, you know um uh schneider is a carrot if you know that reference uh into a horror film have a good weekend john no you i think you're absolutely right david i think your comparison there is 100 dead on it is it is a little bit of a mix it's a mix of freaky friday meets the hot chick uh, i think it's a little bit of a of both of them all right um the only uh drew ski 13 writes hey john I was wondering. I know that you don't get political or anything, but due to the nature of the film industry, I was wondering your thoughts on the change of Best Picture category for Oscars. Thanks, and bring on the filthy. Hope I didn't cross. It. No, again, this this is a major industry thing that has repercussions on a major, major thing. But I I already laid it out. I think it is a non-issue. I think it is these these rules that they set up and put in place are so laughably easy. Um, they have no impact on setting quotas for what actors directors can put in there. I mean, if they want it to, they can, but they don't have to. They don't have to at all. They can, you know, most of these movies are going to meet the qualifications without even thinking about what actors they put in their movies. That's why I said, I'm surprised there's not more backlash about these rules not going far enough. I'm not saying the rules don't go far enough. I'm just saying I'm surprised there's not backlash about that because these rules are so hilariously easy. It's a gimme. Like I said, most of these movies are just going to qualify without even giving it a single thought. They're just going to realize, oh, we already qualify without doing anything. Okay. That's going to be 99% of the movies. So uh, I have to question, honestly, like I said, these rules are so easy as a studio Or as a production company making a movie, you would literally have to try. You would have to go out of your way to try to not meet these qualifications. Like basically the Oscars put rules in place that a studio is just going to have to come out and admit, look, we just, we don't like women and we don't like gay people and we don't like black people. I mean, that's literally what you'll have to do to not qualify for these things. So I think it's a, it's a pretty standard, very, very easy. Again, if you actually take the time and actually read the rules, you realize, oh yeah, there's nothing burdensome about these at all. This is really, really easy. This is the lowest level stuff that they have to do and that they're probably already doing without even thinking about it. All right, Uh Kyle uh, Shorter writes, I'm surprised you never heard of the Black Panther motion. I yeah, I did actually. Uh motion comic series with Jeman Hansu since John Schnepp co-directed it. A friend of mine actually reminded me of that yesterday. A friend of mine who watches the show after the show texts me, he goes, You realize that was the one that John did. Like I knew John did something with Black Panther. I didn't realize that was the, the specific one. So I totally realized that afterwards. But yes, thank you for writing in the reminder anyway, Kyle. Uh never lose your nerd rights apologies for yesterday calling people cry babies wasn't trying to be a jerk but i felt i had to give tenet some love uh, me and my wife loved the movie and thought it was amazing especially in dolby digital which for me is the best way to enjoy a movie and i completely agree as a matter of fact i am going tonight uh me and my buddy soul uh are going tonight to go see tenet fortunately for me the movie theaters in orange county which is only like 30 to 45 minutes away from where I am. So I don't have to, you know, drive an hour and a half to San Diego and I don't have to drive three and a half hours to Vegas. Uh, They're opening today. I bought my tickets to go see tenant tonight and it is in the Dolby prime. So I'm very, very excited about that. And I'll finally be able to get for my own opinion because yeah, a lot of people have been writing in saying the audio levels are really bad that half the time. You can't understand what the actors are saying, which is not a new complaint. That's not a new set of complaints for a Christopher Nolan film. Unfortunately, we've seen those complaints about other films of his as well. So I'm finally going to get a chance to see it myself tonight. And I'll be able to finally put in my two cents worth about what I think about all that. All right. Martin, uh, breed, writes. Hey, John, since Disney plus is launching September 15th in Norway, can you give me some tips to what I should check out on the service? Love your show. Thanks so much for that. Uh, but, Honestly, here's the frustration. For me, it's a little bit Disney Plus is a frustrating topic because they really haven't done much since they launched. I mean, they really haven't. You look at HBO Max, they've done a much better job. I am much more excited about HBO Max right now than I am about Disney Plus. HBO Max just launched. What do they give us? They gave us. You know, we've got Lovecraft Country is on there. We've got Raised by Wolves, which is actually, it's the Ridley Scott thing. It's actually much better than I thought it would be. Um, they've got more things coming down the pipe. It, to me, right now, the HBO Max thing, despite the fact that they need to get their heads out of their asses and get a deal done with Roku and Amazon Firestick, so the vast majority of people who stream their content can finally watch their stuff. But um, I'm, I personally actually find HBO Max to be the more exciting platform right now. But if you're getting HBO Max, obviously the big the big thing is Mandalorian. Watch Mandalorian. Other than that, the other thing that I would recommend is The World According to. Um, oh, why am I why am I freezing on uh, Doctor Malcolm's name? Jeff Goldblum. Uh, the World According to Jeff Go- Goldblum. It's a fascinating little thing. It really is a fascinating little thing. Avoid their original movie, Nicole. Or Noel, I should say, avoid Noel. Terrible, terrible, terrible Disney Plus original movie. Even though it's got the fabulous Anna Kendrick in it, um, but those are the main two things. Obviously, well, not ob- obviously Mandalorian. Just in time for season two, so get caught up in season one. And then the other thing I would recommend is Jeff Goldblum's uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. That one's awesome. Uh, let's see. Uh, do, do 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 do. Where are we at? Uh, who was that? That that was Martin. So next we move on to Ryan Loner writes, R.I.P. the Queen Diana Rig. I I heard about this actually. The Avengers, uh, not Marvel's The Avengers, the original British spy TV show The Avengers, uh, and Game of Thrones will probably get the most attention. But I'll throw in a shout out to where I got to know her, the Great Muppet Caper. It's a ex, it's exposition, darling. It has to go somewhere. Listen, she gave my wife Anne has the best TV t- the best shirt has the best t-shirt it's actually her her character right but her character is wearing sunglasses and it just has the words it was me that might be the best line in all of game of thrones when she's talking to him she knows she's going to be executed oh yeah your son It was me. That is like the most badass moment in all of Game of Thrones. And she's the one who gave that line. And and thank you, Ryan, for for giving a shout out to that, uh, because she was uh, fantastic. And I remember as a kid, I would watch uh, my mom would have on some of the reruns of the old The Avengers TV show. And um, and I grew up watching some of that, you know, the reruns of that. So thank you so much for bringing that one up, Ryan. All right, guys, just a couple of minutes left here. Got to call it a little bit early because I've got uh, some meetings I got to get to uh, uh, regarding my documentary, actually. Uh, a Maritime Canadian fan writes, I was born in the Maritimes of Canada. I was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Anyway, hey, John and crew, thank you for all the content you provide. It's great to listen to all your opinions. I think we need T'Challa for Black Panther, too. I, complete- I personally completely agree. Black Panther isn't about who's wearing the Black Panther mask. Black Panther is about T'Challa. So I I believe we need that character. That's the character who became so inspirational. Uh, thanks in part to the work of Chadwick Boseman for being so inspirational to hundreds of millions of people across the world. I think we need T'Challa. Anyway, I think we need T'Challa for Black Panther 2. Didn't they destroy all the heart-shaped herbs? Herbs, so no more new Black Panther slash superpowers, right? Rest in power, Chadwick. Here's the thing though, yes. So Killmonger, amongst all the other evil things he did, he destroyed their crop of the herbs that gives the Black Panther their power so nobody else could ever have it. Of course, they snuck one out and you know, T'Challa was able to get back his Black Panther powers. But honestly, that's not something that will be a roadblock to Marvel any more than at the end of iron man three he's getting his thing taken out and says you know he's not gonna be iron man anymore guess what avengers age of ultron comes along and guess what he's just iron man again they didn't even have to talk about it they didn't even reference it at some point what will happen is they can just go if they needed to they can just go oh yeah thank goodness we had that secret crop of the heart-shaped herb like that's all they have to do. One line of dialogue in the script. Phew! It's a good thing we had that secret stash. That's all they got to do. It's the MCU. It's totally how they'll deal with it, if they need to deal with it at all. That's probably the way they'll they'll uh, they'll do it. Uh, all right. Uh, next up, Isaac BB writes, "I am sending this super chat at exactly 8:46 a.m. in New York time, the exact time that the first plane hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center, exactly 19 years ago on September 11th, 2001. Uh, may may the 2,996 people who died that day rest in peace. I I still remember, and if you guys have followed me for any period of time, uh, you know this. I was actually in an airport. Go figure." Um, I was getting packed and getting ready to head to the airport when we heard news of an accident that a plane had accidentally crashed into one of the towers and thinking, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And then I got to the airport and I went into the airport and everybody is standing around TVs. As the images of the second plane going in, suddenly now nobody was using the word accident and the world changed and the world changed. And I remember I was there and uh, ABC, I've I've shown the picture of this before. ABC was actually there and filming people's reactions to it. And they actually got an image of me uh, just looking in stunned disbelief of uh of what was happening and and what was going on and um let me i don't, I don't know if if i can find this quickly here but yeah it, it was just one of those moments it was one of those moments that you know there there are times that you later look back on and you go wow, I'll remember where I was when that happened. But then there are a few moments where you know you're going to remember where you were as it's happening. And I remember being in that airport and suddenly my my phone blowing up with all my friends starting to talk with each other and realizing this is a world-changing moment and I'm always going to remember where I was. And I'm sure that's like that for a lot of people. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Isaac. Okay, next up. Sebastian writes, uh, please tell me you were watching or planning to watch Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I'm not watching it, I really don't know much about it. Uh is the best show in a long time. While funny, clever, and heartwarming, all about character, not much about soccer. Okay, so it's it's a soccer thing? Hold on a second. Let me bring up let me bring up Ted Lasso. Okay, what what is this? Uh Ted Lasso. Is that is that Jason Sudeikis? in that jason sudeikis is ted well first of all i'm a big fan of ted lasso Lasso. i'm a big fan of jason sudeikis i am a big fan of jason sudeikis i think he's tremendous i love him uh i'm not really familiar with this so but you know what here's the funny thing none of the the shows on apple tv look good to me at all Again, I just, I just love Jason Sudeikis. None of the Apple TV shows look good to me at all. Morning show didn't look good to me. And then I watch it. I'm like, wow, this was awesome. Uh, For All Mankind didn't look all that good to me. And then I watch it. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I still haven't watched that Chris Evans series. I, I should get on that. Um, but this one has not been on my radar at all. And I don't know. Maybe I, if it's Jason Sudeikis, maybe I should maybe i should all right thanks for putting that on my radar sebastian I, I i appreciate that a lot okay um this will be the final question today guys for everybody else who there's a few other people that still have, there's about 10 questions left do not worry we will start off with your questions on open mic tomorrow when we start when we start open mic tomorrow we'll start off with your questions your your questions will be the first ones to get answered tomorrow